Welcome to the Dividend Cafe weekly market commentary focused on dividends in your portfolio and dividends in your understanding of economic life. Hello and welcome to today's COVID and Markets podcast. This is David Bonson. Uh, thank you for joining us today where we are going to quickly go through the health data and then spend a little bit more time actually in the public policy front just because everything is heating up uh, as the House and Senate and White House uh, delve deeper in their negotiations for a fourth stimulus package. Quickly, just in terms of a market summary, the Dow actually ended up dropping 200 points today, but almost uh, the vast majority of that came in the last hour of trading. It was kind of a flattish day throughout, um, and then in the final hour, we kind of traded down and really no particular reason that I'm able to surmise. Um, but in terms of the COVID uh, health data and a couple of the things I wanted to share, it really the storylines are sort of more of the same. Cases were down 8.3% yesterday from the same day last week. So the two consecutive days of week-over-week decline in cases is the first two days of such in about eight weeks. Uh, Testing is definitely way up, and case growth on a percentage basis is dramatically dropping. And so, of course, mathematically, that means the positivity rate is dropping. We were sitting there over 9% just a week or two ago, and now we're running in the low sevens. Um, Bottom line is that, you know, we, we have a lot of work to do. I mean, the case growth is dropping and, and the hospitalization data has either flatlined or dropped in almost every major market. Mortalities have stayed very low, particularly as a percentage of the cases that uh, grew out of June and July. Um, but until we see uh, a substantially lower case growth and just existence of cases. I don't see how the narrative in the media is going to be able to change. But as far as the utilization of hospital resources, it does appear that perhaps with the exception of a few select counties, on a national basis and for the most part statewide basis, we're performing quite well. And in terms of the awful uh, potentials of just, you know, mortalities increasing and getting to that level. All of that talk, of course, that we have heard throughout June, July, uh, we continue to be in just a very, very different position around the severity of the COVID positives that we're dealing with. Uh, The vaccine candidate from Pfizer and their joint venture with BioNTech out of Germany have begun stage three trials and they are actually targeting a regulatory review by October. So that's by far the quickest track that we're hearing right now on one of the major vaccine candidates. And you don't go to that size of a late-stage trial and start to peg a regulatory review unless you're extremely serious and, of course, positive about your outlook. Uh, Moderna, which has obviously been one of the major um, vaccine candidate scenarios is also now in their uh, final stage trial um, and that will take some time to play out. So there are still four or five very significant candidates and then there are you know dozens of slightly less front runner status type candidates but of the kind of top four or five uh, these two um, Pfizer BioNTech and Moderna appear to be kind of in the lead 
but I will point out that um, there are American connections. Moderna is here in the States. Pfizer is in the States. Uh, the U.S. is committed to huge purchases of both of these. So we have a lot more of an inside track on what's happening on those. But the Oxford, in, uh, the Oxford University, Jensen Institute, um, and then AstraZeneca uh, for production distribution venture out of UK is apparently very far along as well. So I, I don't know enough to really, you know, treat these things like a horse race, but from the indications of what we're studying and, and following and seeing, uh, those appear to be the major three candidates for the um, inevitable vaccine. Uh, there is an article I put into covidmarkets.com today that I cannot emphasize enough. First of all, it's very readable, very impressively uh, clear and understandable coming from Dr. Francis Collins, who's the director of the National Institutes of Health. He is basically Dr. Fauci's boss. Uh, and so um, Dr. Fauci and him have worked together many, many years. And Fauci's division uh, reports into Dr. Collins' division. But I thought some of Dr. Collins' insights on why we are seeing a greater resistance to COVID embedded than we thought uh, around this study of T-cell resistance coming out of perhaps past exposure to other coronaviruses, including you know, what is often the cause of common colds that we all have. Uh, being a sort of foundational explanation to a larger immunity, a larger resistance than had been previously understood. So I would definitely check that out. It provides a little bit better understanding as to where we are. Uh, the normal quadrant of charts is at covidmarkets.com. Just again, continuing to track cases, hospitalizations, seem to see a downward track now, not only a significantly downward track in California, we're getting a downward track in Florida. Uh, excuse me, a significant downward track in Arizona, starting to get that uh, shape going in, in California, which I just want to point out, never did on a per capita basis get anywhere close to Georgia, Idaho, South Carolina, Texas, Florida, Arizona. Um, and yet has, you know, I, I will just say, um, you may not have gotten that impression in following the policy and the press coverage. The, the dip in cases coming with the positivity rate declining is something we got to be very encouraged about. And lest I be accused of only sharing the good news, there are still rising cases in Alaska, Mississippi, Kentucky, Missouri. There's a few smaller states, and the absolute numbers are frankly very small. But just to scale that, there are some states that are not showing the same trajectory in their case growth line that the bigger fact states are. Um, I think I'm only doing it once a week. If I'm doing it twice a week, it's just because I can't help myself. But the continuing monitoring of Sweden's case growth decline and mortality decline, there is an updated chart. Um, and, of course, you're going to just see the same lines. It sticks out rather abundantly of how a really significant increase of cases built up from late May throughout June, July, and have just precipitously declined practically to zero and that all along since their original peak back in April, much like New York City, has declined its way down very close to zero. And so um, it, I continue to watch Sweden because of the encouragement it gives me about what options may be available in other places. And, of course, we pray that there isn't a reversal of Sweden's good fortunes as well. 
Um, okay, so let's see. In Orange County, by the way, uh, the trend uh, down in new cases out in California is unbelievable. Um, and so you always are at risk of a kind of reporting snapback if there was some sort of backlog that got missed. But now it's multiple days really showing a trend line in the right way after what had been a, a decent size increase of cases in Orange County to over a thousand a day that were taking place right after the 4th of July weekend. Um, hospitalizations, ICUs, and medical resource use, such as intubations and ventilators in Arizona, are all down 30% from their peak two weeks ago. And I uh, can only tell you that in Texas, a lot of the numbers look a lot more encouraging. It's trending in the right way. But I've been really trying to follow and monitor myself specific hard data in Austin and in Houston. And there's so many data anomalies right now that it's just kind of off and I need to let it settle for a couple of days because I'm seeing like a thousand beds go up one day and then 500 down the next day. And I know it's not right. It, it, you know, I would love to be that encouraged that all of a sudden we, we freed up a thousand beds overnight, but I just don't believe it. Um, so something just seems off and, and uh, we'll let the state sort those things out on their own COVID health uh, website in the days ahead. Um, in terms of the stock market, you got to see the chart I put at COVID on markets just to kind of track the dollar against a, a, a basket of other currencies to give yourself an idea of how uh, interesting this drop down over the last several weeks, really kind of the whole month of July has been. Um, and when you look at it again over the last couple of years, we're, we're really kind of back to a place where the dollar hasn't been since the middle of 2018. On the public policy front, the Senate and Republicans and the White House got on the same page and last night put out their kind of first draft of the bill. Um, you got all the normal sort of posturing and punching and whatnot. Uh, Chuck Schumer called it totally inadequate. Speaker Pelosi called it pathetic. But then they all had a meeting and Mark Meadows came out and said the meeting was very, very good and productive. Senator Ted Cruz on the Republican side said about the Republican bill that he thinks it's too big and not likely to go anywhere um, within, you know, Republicans in the Senate. So I, as I mentioned yesterday, they're talking about doing the same thing with uh, direct support to taxpayers that we did before. Uh, $1,200 payments to single, $2,400 to married couples, $500 for, uh, per dependent child, uh, phasing it out, uh, $75K income up to $100K for single, $150 married, $200 phase out. So that's just, you know, a, the kind of easy, let's put a bunch of money out there type plan. Then they have some incentives to businesses to manufacture, um, you know, emergency equipment in the U.S. They are wanting to go to a $200 a week instead of $600 a week unemployment benefit that they would phase down to 70% of wages in concert with the states uh, come October. Pelosi's criticism of that, by the way, was that it was too... Uh, complicated, and I tend to agree, actually, uh, that it, I'm surprised that they went with a more complicated route. I know that they want to take away the disincentive to work, and I definitely support that, but I'm surprised that they're going with something that's going to be probably harder to win the day, even if on the merits they have a better plan when it just is difficult to kind of articulate and difficult to administer. They'd be relying on 50 states that haven't had, some of them have had a lot of problems getting pretty vanilla checks out the last few months. And to go after do a bunch of calculations and this and that, I find it very unlikely that that's the way it's going to go. 
the Senate GOP is looking to extend the PPP program so companies could actually get a second forgivable loan as long as they can prove that revenue has dropped a certain amount. It does have the liability protection for schools and businesses to reopen. It does have $105 billion of aid and support for schools to reopen. I have to think that's conditioned upon those schools reopening. I don't think they'd be giving $105 billion to schools that don't open. It does have grants for parents who decide they want to move their kid to a private school or homeschool option in lieu of school closures. Um, I would imagine the House Democrats will fight that one quite vociferously. And then I, it has some silly things like 100% deductibility for meals and entertainment as opposed to 25 or 50% deductibility allegedly to go incentivize support of restaurants and hotels. And my joke is that um, I have never skipped lunch because I could only deduct half of it, uh, as anyone could attest, but uh, be that as it may. It also has additional funds for virus testing and vaccine development and things like that, which I'm not, I'm not totally clear on the vaccine side of it because I believe they have tens of billions of unused funds still from the last one. So anyways, let me kind of leave it there. Um, on the housing market side, the percentage of mortgages and forbearance dropped from 8.6% to 7.8%. So it's down about 9% from where it had been. And that's very encouraging to me because it doesn't, you know, there were a high amount of mortgages that went into forbearance from the CARES Act provision. And it seems to me that a good portion of those were worked out already or resolved, have exited forbearance, even before a new stimulus bill, even before economic recovery. And so I don't want to celebrate prematurely. I, that number needs to keep going down. But if we're declining that forbearance rate while we're still kind of in the midst of things, that's a good sign. We're going to keep watching that. Uh, interesting to see on the Fed, I am hearing uh, from a source of mine that there is a provision um, that would authorize, it wouldn't force, but it would, it would give the authorization from Congress to the Fed to use more discretion in how they evaluate um, capital standards for banks. And it really is pretty benign. Um, Senator Crapo out of Idaho, chairs the Senate Banking Committee, has actually been working on this for a long time, way before COVID, but now it all kind of hit the fan. And what he's wanting to do is give the Fed the flexibility to allow banks to not have to count um, certain assets that really do not represent an additional risk on their balance sheet in that tier one capital ratio. It's a fancy way of saying that if this goes through, it'll give the banks more leeway in what kind of capital they can lend out. Um, I, I did hear today that both uh, Mitt Romney and Susan Collins, Senator Utah and Maine, respectively, are going to vote against Judy Shelton to be on the Fed uh, Board of Governors. So that really means Republicans can only lose one more if we assume every Democrat's going to vote against her. And so Judy Shelton is in a very tight vote and no real margin of error to be able to get approved to the Fed Board of Governors. Um, I'm recording about a half hour before futures open up, so I don't know where the futures market stands at this time. We have 200 companies in the S&P 500 reporting earnings results over the next four or five days. So mostly markets will take P's and Q's from bottom up individual company activity. In the meantime, we're continuing to watch COVID data every single day, and we'll keep you posted on everything going on on Capitol Hill Thank you for listening to the COVID and Markets podcast brought to you by 
the dividend cafe of the Bonson Group. The Bonson Group is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free risk. There is no guarantee that the investment process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. The Bonson Group and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the Bonson Group and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for any related questions.